Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about the promise of Pentecost. I don't know how many of you recognize the name Pandita Ramabai. Pandita Ramabai was a high caste Maharashtrian Hindu lady who lived in the 19th century, the second half of the, of the 19th century. Although she uh, lived in Maharashtra, uh, visited Calcutta and spent quite a bit of time here. And it was the University of Calcutta that actually gave her the title Pandita. Reason being, she was perhaps the earliest woman in India to study Sanskrit, a Sanskrit scholar. Keep in mind, Sanskrit is the language of, of uh, the, the religious books and uh, only male, high caste, male Brahmins were supposed to learn it. She was one of the earliest women, thank you, who learnt Sanskrit and in fact became a Pandita, a scholar. But while she was in the UK teaching Sanskrit, uh, she was uh, exposed to the claims of Christ and began to follow Jesus. Her story, because she's one of the distinguished uh, pioneers of social reform in India, definitely um, uh, social reform among women. And uh, you'll find her photograph on some postage stamps as well. A social reformer who on her return established a destitute a woman, a home for destitute women and children uh, in a place called Kedgao, not too far from Pune, which fasten your seatbelt. At its peak, Mukti Mission, that is what it was called, and it still continues to operate, uh, housed over 2,000 residents. I don't know how many of you have a challenge running your home with three or four or five people. Uh, we run home sometimes with 20, 30. Uh, we have a Bible college which, with about 70 uh, students. You know, anything up to 100, 200 is a challenge. You have 2,000 women and children uh, at its peak. Anyway, the, the home she established was called the Mukti Mission. But the real point of this testimony this morning is a revival that broke out at the Mukti Mission uh, about over a century ago in June 1905. I want to summarize it. Please listen very carefully. One day while Ramabai was teaching, the Holy Spirit descended with power and all the girls began to pray aloud spontaneously. So she had to stop speaking. This revival was accompanied by weeping, praying, confession of sins, visions, speaking and singing in tongues. And some of those girls who had never learned English in their lives began to pray in English. Some experienced a baptism of fire, which is a sensation of burning inside. 
as they began to be convicted of unrepented sin. If you think the services here at AG Church are long, some of the services following the revival lasted for over 15 hours with continual praise and often simultaneous prayers accompanied with loud crying and laughter. And uh, someone who was describing it, uh, the, the, the atmosphere in the services said, the sound of a thousand women and girls praying aloud at one time was like rolling thunder, just a glimpse of heaven. Many were delivered from evil spirits. The gift of prophecy, other gifts began to be manifested. And the Mukti mission became a center for revival. This revival spread to different parts of India where people began to experience dramatic life transformation and newfound joy. See, that's one of the signs of true revival. Joy, deep joy, and power in service. What happened at Mukti Mission in the early years of the 20th century was one in a series of revivals that took place simultaneously across the globe. A powerful worldwide movement for revival and missions was born, sometimes called the Pentecostal movement. Incidentally, this church, uh, which was a part of the wider global Assemblies of God network, is considered part of that movement, or is the result of that movement. And just for your information, in 100 years, just the Assemblies of God alone uh, has a network of churches in over 200 countries comprising a total membership of over 70 million. But the Pentecostal movement is beyond the Assemblies of God. It's impacted mainline denominations as well. And today, people estimate there are over, yes, half a billion, 500 million spiritual people across the globe. People who either call themselves Pentecostal or charismatic belong to either churches like this or independent churches or mainline churches. Now, the term Pentecostal is used for anyone who emphasizes the Holy Spirit as experienced on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. For there is where it all started. Uh, you'll remember we've read from Acts chapter 2 before. A mighty rushing wind filled the upper room as the early disciples waited in prayer. And tongues of fire came upon these early disciples and 120 voices burst forth in foreign languages. And it was such a sensational event that there were people in Jerusalem from all over the world uh, who had come to celebrate the feast and they rushed to the center of this extraordinary event to see this supernatural outpouring of, of heaven on earth. And obviously, people are wanting to know, what is this? Or in the traditional King James, like, what meaneth this? Today's language, what is happening here? Now I'm, I'm going to skip straight to Peter's explanation. Peter was one of those who received this experience. In Acts chapter 2, I'm reading selectively from verses 22 onwards, just follow me. Uh, Peter's message is a long message. 
I'm going to read a few key verses. He looks at all the people gathered, this huge crowd, and says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Feel free to join me at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I want you to notice these words from Peter's lips. The promised Holy Spirit. Verse 33 and 39, the promise is for you and for all who are far off. By the way, the word phrase far off is not geographical, it is chronological. Subsequent generations, for all subsequent generations, all whom the Lord our God will call. Now what was this promise Peter was referring to? Very quickly, when you look at the message earlier, he quotes specifically from the Old Testament, from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, where Joel had prophesied several hundred years earlier. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This was actually the text for Peter's sermon. When they say, what is this? Peter's response is, this is that which Joel prophesied about. Not only that, as John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus' ministry, was calling people to repentance and giving them water baptism when they repented, he had made this prediction. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to tie, untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The promise. The promise. And from Jesus' lips in Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Let's read that together, shall we? I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So here's the thing, friends. Why, where I got the title of this message. The Holy Spirit's coming was promised by God. Not once, not twice, 
But over and over and over again, beginning from centuries before the coming of Christ and the day of Pentecost. But let me share with you quickly three things about this promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the promise has been provided for in Christ. This is a Christ-centered promise. Let me paraphrase for you Peter's message, the words that we read. Essentially what Peter is saying is, the promise of Joel concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled thus. God sent Jesus, his life and works clearly showed that he was sent by God. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. We know this because we have seen him alive. And now, my friends, this Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And what you see now is what Jesus is pouring out. And the response of the listeners, these thousands of people who had gathered, brothers, what shall we do? My prayer this morning is that everyone seated here will experience at least that hunger by the end of this message. What shall we do? How can we have that experience? How do we set things right? How do we set our lives right? Yes, we have made a mistake. We, we killed Jesus. Perhaps you're seated here today and you're saying, you know, I never killed Jesus. But we all in our own way have brought shame to his name. We've drawn away from Jesus. We have failed to confess him when we should. We have let him down when we've allowed ourselves to sin against him. And we come to his presence and say, how can we set things right? How can I join this movement is what they are saying. How can we get what you got? Peter, John, disciples. And here is Peter's response. Repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the words of Peter are simple but they hark back to Jesus' own words in the first instance in the course of his farewell messages. You remember we referred to that John 14, 15, 16, his farewell words where Jesus had talked about the Spirit's work in convicting unbelievers of sin. Let me remind you of these verses. We've read them before in John 16. Let's read it together, verse seven and eight. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the paraclete will, won't come. By the way, that is sometimes translated helper, right? Comforter. The paraclete is the original. Won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, come on, read with me. He will convict. Notice that word, convict. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The word convict here simply means to expose. 
to show, to convince. What Jesus had said is that when the spirit comes, he will show the world, convince the world, convince the unbelieving world of their need for me, for Jesus. He will convict the world of its sin. I'm not here to explain what sin is to you. Okay, sin has many forms. Sin, it, two weeks ago I described to you what it is. It's this deadly terminal disease. It's a spiritual disease. If it's not dealt with, just like cancer leads us to physical death, sin that is untreated will lead, uh, uh, results in spiritual death and ultimately eternal death. But here, the main sin that Jesus was drawing attention to is the sin of unbelief. Everyone say with me, unbelief. Which is the refusal to believe in Jesus. And when I say believe in Jesus, I don't mean just, yeah, he's a good guy, great guy, good teacher. No, 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 I'm talking about Entrusting our lives to him. The refusal to trust Jesus. You've heard of the unpardonable sin. The sin which can never be pardoned. And uh, I'm sure every pastor here has had someone come to you at some time and say, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Pastor, what is this unpardonable sin? You know what? Your answer is right here. The only unpardonable sin, the only sin God cannot forgive is the sin of rejecting his son. That is unpardonable. You know why? Because if you're on a boat, or rather if you're on a ship, and the ship is sinking, like the Titanic, and there's a lifeboat that's made available and you're invited to get off the sinking ship into the lifeboat and you say, no, I'm all right. There is no hope for you. In the sinking ship of a world trapped in sin, God has sent Jesus as the lifeboat. He says, get in. And if you say, no, I don't believe he's a lifeboat. I don't trust Jesus. Now you get it. There's no other hope. That is the unpardonable sin. But conviction of sin is only the first step. It must lead, according to Peter's words here, to repentance and new birth. And just as conviction of sin is a work of the Holy Spirit, so is repentance and new birth. It's the Holy Spirit's work, but... The work of the Holy Spirit is based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. See, the, what, am, what am I talking about? How the promise has been provided for in Christ. So Christ has on the cross provided for repentance and new birth. So when Peter says on the day of Pentecost, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of sins or for the forgiveness of sins. It's simply another way of saying what Jesus had said to Nicodemus. Remember, two Sundays ago in John chapter 3, to quote again, what Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Read that last part with me. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. And so by his death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins because of which we receive a new start. Amen? An entrance into God's family. And this is what he promises in John chapter 1, verse 12. Read it with me, please. It's a beautiful promise. To all who did receive him. Who is him? Jesus, God's son. To those who believed in his name. Whose name? The name of Jesus. He gave the right to become children of God. We receive a new start. Not only that, we receive or we enter into a new relationship in which God becomes our father. We are able to call him Abba, father. I am like an intimate, endearing term for God. Like if you have a good relationship with your papa at home, however you call him, you can put that word. A new relationship because of what Jesus has done on the cross we have the new birth. With the new birth, we receive a new start. With the new birth, we receive a new relationship. With the new birth, God imparts his new nature to us. We receive a new nature. The Bible says we become new creatures or we are a new creation in Christ. So you're talking about here, not just superficial allegiance. I belong to this party. Now I've changed my party, this other party. No, no, friends. The result is a radical change of heart, inside. That is why, born again. New start, new relationship, new creation, new nature. So the spirit is then this divine life giver. Get this, who regularly performs the greatest miracle of all. There's no greater miracle than this, friends. What is that? Read it with me. Please, it'll come up on the screen. The Holy Spirit takes a sinner destined for eternal death and hell and transforms him or her into a child of God destined for the throne room of God. No power on earth can do that. You can go on the internet and see answers to almost every problem today. But there's no power on earth that can take a sinner destined to be separated from God eternally, destined for eternal death, and transform us into a child of God destined for the throne of God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So that's the first thing about the promise. The promise has been provided for in Christ. It's centered in Christ. Third, secondly, the promise was fulfilled in Acts. 
Acts 1 8, Jesus had said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What Jesus was referring to here was the baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by the baptism in with the Holy Spirit? This is a special work of the Holy Spirit who already dwells within the believer. When we are convicted of our sin and we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience of empowerment which we're equipped for service. Its main purpose is to enable us to be witnesses. What I want to do in the next few minutes is quickly run through five recorded instances in the book of Acts where people experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The first <coughs> we have already referred to is in Acts 2, verses 1 to 12, the original experience in Jerusalem, the upper room. The early disciples are in the upper room and they're obeying the command of Jesus' wait in Jerusalem. And you remember what happened. Sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Tongues of fire came to rest on each of them, all filled with the Spirit. Spoke in other tongues. The whole city is in uproar. And that's when Peter, our text this morning is taken from Acts 2. The second experience is recorded in Acts chapter 8. The location is Samaria. It's a very interesting Account there, Philip, who is an evangelist, is experiencing powerful revival in the city of Samaria. Signs and wonders, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered. The news comes to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they say, you know what? God is working among the Samaritans. Keep in mind, Samaritans were non-Jews. Yeah. Jews are saying, now what is happening here? They say, well, Let's send Peter and John. And so Peter and John go to Samaria and notice what happens. Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, Samaritan believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a guy around named Simon, a sorcerer, who had come to faith. But when the disciples, when Peter and John laid hands, he saw something that made him not only uh, excited, but greedy. Because he was a sorcerer, used to making money out of power. Simple as that. When he saw the spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. And you see how Peter, filled with the spirit, passes judgment on Simon. And although no specific manifestation is mentioned in this occasion, Simon's reaction tells you that when Peter and John laid hands, something happened. He, he must have seen something that made him want to buy this power. That takes us to the third experience, which is the experience of Saul, the persecutor of the, of the, of the early church, who became Paul, the person who experienced the greatest persecution for the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter nine, you remember, Saul is on the road to Damascus 
and he has that epiphany. The, the God, uh, Jesus appears to him, he falls off his horse, he becomes blind, and then he goes to Ananias, or rather he goes to Damascus, and God sends this man named Ananias to pray for Saul, so that Saul may be filled with the Spirit. And you know what happens, instantly Saul's eyes are opened, he's filled with the Spirit, no manifestation recorded, but elsewhere Paul claims to have gifts, including the gift of tongues. But fourthly, we see in Acts chapter 10, a very interesting incident. In Acts chapter eight, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, we have the first instance of the Holy Spirit being poured out among the Gentiles. This is the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius in Caesarea. It's a long story, but Peter receives direct command from God to go to Cornelius' household. You know why that was important? Because the Jews didn't believe God was interested in the Gentiles. They thought we are the people of God. All of this was for us and God had to speak to Peter, break his prejudice. And so, again in Acts chapter 10, it describes how the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius' household. Let's read it together. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's preaching like I'm doing right now. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, meaning Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Incidentally, this is a very, very interesting incident, okay? In other words, as they were listening, they began to believe, and before baptism or anything, the Holy Spirit just falls out, pour, is poured out upon them. In Acts 19, we have the fifth recorded incident. This is in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was an important trading center in the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, it was like Bombay or Calcutta, uh, Mumbai or Calcutta, a very important city. Paul comes in there, he finds a group of believers, and in short, those believers had only received the message of John the Baptist. He asked them about the Holy Spirit. They say, we never even heard of that. So Paul instructs them regarding the Holy Spirit and baptizes them. In other words, baptism is nothing but the external acceptance or confession of their inward acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So after he baptizes them, Acts 19 verse 6 says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Very quickly, what do we see in all of these five instances where people experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit? First of all, we see the normal sequence was repentance or new birth. Repent, be baptized, water baptism. Thirdly, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism of the Holy Spirit comes after new birth, obedience in the waters of baptism, and then they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But as we've seen in Acts 10, there's no hard and fast rule. God can often pour out his Holy Spirit upon people even before 
they uh, you know go uh, enter the waters of baptism but here's the important thing in every case the result of people being filled with the spirit is boldness in witness you'll find the phrase occurring they spoke the word of god boldly evidence that they received the baptism in the holy spirit not only that usually some external verbal manifestation is recorded they praise god they prophesied or they spoke in tongues and so on and so forth now let me quickly address a question that often comes when you talk about the baptism of the holy spirit some people will often ask do i have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the holy spirit it's the wrong question since god gives the gifts you see suppose this 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 uh, morning you have a need for healing okay uh let us say you have a you have a skin problem and you come up for prayer can i tell you you have to be healed you must be healed i can't do that i can pray for you to be healed because healing comes as a gracious gift of god so that's the wrong question all we can say is that in every case where the experience is recorded in acts gift of tongues is either mentioned or implied for instance in cornelius's household in acts 10 the, the suspicious jews how did they recognize that the gentiles had been baptized in the spirit it says because they heard them speak in tongues and glorify god so no we don't say you must speak in tongues all we do is we encourage faith we encourage you to expect we explain how it happens uh the spirit gives the words but we speak as the spirit gives us utterance and uh, you say pastor but why do you talk so much about speaking in tongues simply because the bible says that's a privilege that every believer has particularly in their private prayer language for your private prayer language when you don't know how to pray the holy spirit prays through you so the promise is centered in christ provided for by christ the promise was fulfilled in acts we have seen that and finally in closing let me say the promise is available for us today how do i know that let me take you back to the words of peter the promise is for you and your children next generation and for all who are far off generationally for all whom the lord our god will call has god called you but if god has called you the promise is for you today so the question is Paul's question at Ephesus have you been filled with the spirit thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata we hope you would stay connected by following us online 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead. 